last weekend, um, Pastor Matt uh, brought us into the season of Advent with a message of hope. I wasn't able to be here with you. Uh, my family and I were visiting our families back in Kansas for the Thanksgiving holiday, but I was online with you, and uh, which is weird. I, I, that, I don't like it. Uh, it. You guys smell better in person. Um, but I, I really did appreciate Pastor Matt's heart and his tone as he uh, helped us step into this important time of the year. Today, uh, we've lit the candle of peace. Our second Sunday in Advent focuses on this subject, and it's ironic to me in a lot of ways, we've been talking about this a little bit in our home and with the staff, that at least from my perspective, this is one of the least peaceful times of the year. Uh, In the life of the church, we kind of feel like we go from one season to another. Um, We're in Advent right now, and then we go into Christmas, and then we go into the New Year, we're like, okay, now we can breathe, and next thing you know, we're talking about Lent, and we're talking about Easter, and then Easter's, and we're like, okay, finally we can breathe, and all of a sudden it's time for summer, and camps, and VBS, and all the summer things that have to happen, and then we go, okay, finally when we get to, nope, because here comes fall, and back to school, and then it's Thanksgiving, and guess what? Christmas. It just seems to be this cycle of just go, 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 go. But it does seem to me that this particular time of year is one of the least peaceful. We have Christmas parties and Christmas concerts and Christmas shopping and Christmas decorating. And somewhere in between those things, we're supposed to try to find things for all the normal stuff that we would be doing anyway. The the Monday through Friday, the nine to five type things, even when Christmas is not on the radar. But it's just not all that peaceful. But here we are, and peace is what we're going to talk about today, and, and I hope that by the time that I finish sharing with you this morning that, that maybe you will not only perhaps discover a new peace, but you will also see how we, as the children of God, play an important role in bringing peace to our world. As a child, I remember that every Christmas, um, before the presents were open, my father would take his Bible and he would open it to Luke chapter 2. And he would read that very familiar passage to us that we find there in Luke chapter 2. It's on the birth of Christ. It is our iconic Christmas text. It's one that we hear each year that gets emphasized about this time. And even in the coming weeks, we're going to take some time and look at that particular passage together. But we are currently in the season of Advent. And as Pastor Matt pointed out last weekend... The season of Advent is actually uh, the beginning of the church calendar. Not our calendar here at MP Naz, but the collective universal church. And it's fitting since we are uh, talking about the the birth of Jesus Christ and we are the church of Jesus Christ, that that should be the beginning of our year, the Advent, his birth. In this season of Advent, an appropriate passage of Scripture for us to consider actually comes one chapter after chapter 2 of Luke's book, and that would be chapter 3. With this topic of peace on the table today, Luke 3 can seem like a bit of an odd uh, passage to consider, but when we consider the context and the character, it it might make a little bit more sense. Luke chapter 3 tells us about a guy by the name of John the Baptist. Now, this is probably one of my favorite renderings of John the Baptist. He's the guy on the left. Um... This was taken by Jesus' official photographer, and um, it's actually, it's actually a, 
is a scene from The Chosen television show. But I like this particular depiction of John the Baptist. Uh, John was just kind of generally unkempt. <laughs> he actually would fit in with a lot of young people today. Um, Bible tells us that he was kind of a wild man. He ate locusts and he ate honey. His clothes were made of animal skin. In fact, this picture might not even do it justice to really describe what his outfit would have probably been like. Uh, but he definitely didn't look like everybody else around him. And we find the beginning story of John the Baptist in Luke chapter 1, where Mary, the mother of Jesus, she goes to visit her then pregnant cousin whose name was Elizabeth. Elizabeth was the mother of John the Baptist. And, and the Bible tells us in Luke 1 that, that, that Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, and as soon as she walks into the room, that John the Baptist, who was still in her womb, that he leapt and that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we fast forward through chapter 2 in the birth of Jesus, and we get into Luke chapter 3, and we find John teaching and he's preaching in the wilderness. And as he's preaching, he's calling the people to repentance and baptism. John was not a peaceful-looking man. And his message was not a peaceful message. Repent! Repent and be baptized, was his call. Look with me in Luke chapter 3, starting with verse 1. It says, In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip Tetrarch of Ituria, and Trochonitis, and Lysanias Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low, the crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. Luke's writing begins by explaining for us the, the current state of affairs, if you will. He outlines the powers that existed at that time in that region, the political players that were currently on the stage. And it would be very easy for us to just kind of overlook this, but we have to understand that Luke included this for a very important reason. Perhaps a better way for us to understand it would be to put this text in, in more modern terms for us. How about this? In 2021, nearing the completion of the first year of President Joe Biden's term, Mike DeWine was governor of Ohio. Robert Portman and Sher Sherrod Brown were senators to the United States Senate. Joel Day was the mayor of New Philadelphia, and Mark Maddox was the senior pastor at New Philadelphia Nazarene, and so on, and so on, and so on. You see, what Luke was doing for us here is he was setting the, st the stage by literally pointing to all of the political players and the leaders of that day. And it was for a very specific and very important reason. You see, the people believed that their salvation, that their redemption was going to come through someone that was in the top half of our scripture. They believed that it was going to come through someone who held a position of authority, a position of leadership, a position of power. They were looking for their Messiah in the seats of the government. 
They believed that the Redeemer was going to be some great warrior or a wonderful leader or perhaps even a polished politician. Their focus was on the kingdom of this earth, and in that kingdom, they were searching for a Savior. But Luke flips the script. Into all of that Luke lists in the first two verses, he follows it with this. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. This is the dividing line. This is the shift. A prophet by the name of John the Baptist, a a wild-eyed, hairy, granola-looking dude, trolling about the desert, different from everybody else, is responding to what God has laid on his heart. And it's a jarring message. It's a revolutionary message. It's all of those things because what the people were looking for in the system, in their earthly kingdom, was never going to be found. Because God's kingdom doesn't operate that way. God's kingdom does not prevail through politicians or preachers or power or money. God's kingdom operates on a very different level. John was declaring a a new kingdom. He was preaching a new redemption that was only found through repentance of the heart and baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We really kind of have to go beyond our text this morning to see just how radical this call of John really was. You see, baptism, that was not an entirely foreign thing to the people of that day. Water rituals, including baptism, was very much a part of the Jewish faith. This was, this was not what made John's message unique. Look with me at verses 7 and 8. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you? to flee from the coming wrath. He says, produce fruit in keeping with your repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. See, John is, John is calling his audience a bunch of snakes. <laughs> I can tell you for a fact that is not a good way to reach people. But that's what John's doing. You brood of vipers, you snakes, he says to them. He's calling them snakes, and he's also telling them they have placed their faith, what they have placed their faith in, which was primarily their heritage, where they came from, their Jewish lineage. These were the things that they placed their faith in. John says to them, that counts for nothing. That has no value. This was not where your salvation This is not where your salvation is going to be found. Instead, John says, it will come from a change of your heart and a change of your mind. We go a few verses deeper to verse 11. We read this. John says this, Anyone who has two shirts should share with the other one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors, it says, came to be baptized. And they would ask him, what should we do? And he said, don't collect any more than you're required to. Don't collect any more than you're required to, he would tell them. I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. And then some soldiers who were also there, they asked him, what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content 
with your pay. It's interesting if we pause and think about it just for a moment there in verses 12 and 14 that even the tax collectors and the soldiers were coming to listen to what John had to say, the message that he was preaching. They weren't, they weren't just regular citizens. They were a part of the kingdom. They were a part of the kingdom that people were anticipating their redemption was going to come from. These guys, these tax collectors and these soldiers, they were representatives of that kingdom. And John was calling them as well to a radically different life. So what kind of life was that? Well, we've got to go back to verse 4. What Luke writes here is from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 40. And this is what it says. He says, first of all, make straight paths. Make straight paths. And, and, and fill in the valleys. And tear down the mountains and, and the hills. And make crooked paths straight. And, and make, make, make the rough ways smooth. Over the Thanksgiving holiday, my family and I, as I told you before, we made our annual trek across Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, and Missouri until we finally stop in Kansas, which is where our families live. Our parents both live in the same town. It's a 12-hour trip, uh, provided there are no hiccups along the way. We traveled on the day before Thanksgiving, and some of you may already know where I'm going with this, I'm not sure if you've ever traveled on that particular day. When we were leaving that morning, I flipped on the news in the car, and I was listening, and they said, there are 50 million extra travelers on the road today. <laughs> in the past, we have, we have purposely left a couple days before Thanksgiving, and I remembered why this year. Um, but they said, yeah, 50 million extra travelers on the road, and, and I was counting. I'm pretty sure that all of them were on I-70 <laughs> between Ohio and Kansas City. Add to that that the, the city of Indianapolis, at some point in their history, their noble history, made the decision that at no time would anybody be able to travel through, around, or near their great city without having to deal with construction. I just want to applaud them for that decision. <laughs> Add to that that uh, based on my observations, again, I'm, I'm not, this is ge very genuine observation on my part. Based on my observation, I am fairly certain that most potential drivers were not awake during the section that taught merging. It was supposed to be a 12-hour trip. It took us 15 to 16 hours, seven people in a car with a car top carrier and a hitch rack because we, we're, we're, we mean business. There were no straight paths. There were no filled-in valleys. There were plenty of hills, a lot of crooked roads. In fact, the roads had holes and cracks and bumps. And if you ever piled into a car with seven people and all of their stuff, then you know what I'm saying when I say it was, it's rough. To make the journey from New Philadelphia, Ohio to Lawrence, Kansas, perfect and peaceful, I-70 would have to be a straight shot with no turns. Again, I've looked at it. It's possible. I was able to draw a straight line from New Philadelphia to Lawrence, Kansas. 
I don't know why it has to go like this. No turns, no detours, no construction, no traffic, no deer. <laughs> but it's just not so. I want you to understand something this morning. This is what the prophet Isaiah is talking about when he calls for straight paths and valleys filled in and so on. It begins with the call to prepare the way for the Lord and it ends with, and all people will see God's salvation. Luke, in his echoing of the prophet Isaiah, is saying, you, you, you prepare the way for the Lord. We often believe that peace will be attained through power. If we have a big enough army, if we have a strong enough government, if we have the right person sitting in that oval office, if we have the right leaders, then we will have peace. On a more personal level, we believe that peace will be attained through our own achievements, perhaps, or our own successes. If I could just have enough money, if I could just have the right job, if I could just acquire the right possessions, the right comfort items, then I would have peace. But here, what we see in Luke's writing is that peace is not going to be found through power or possessions, but through the action and the movement of the people of God. This is not to say that peace is found through passivity because for the peace of God to break through, Matt mentioned it in his prayer time, for the peace of God to break through, it often requires painful journeys and processes because the powers that rule this world have to be torn down so that God can reign. Something that's often talked about in our world today is the need to level the playing field for people. And this is what Isaiah is talking about. Because where the ground is not level, there will be injustice. And where there is injustice, there is no peace. God's kingdom is one of a level playing field, which means justice for everyone. And this, this idea connects with what John tells the people in verses 11 through 14 about, about what they must be sharing with others. It's also a message that Jesus teaches in his Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he talks about giving to those who are in need. Why? Out of humility and out of compassion. God's kingdom, a kingdom of peace, is one in which people have what they need and justice reigns. The other day I went grocery shopping with my wife for the first time in a while and remembered why I don't like to go grocery shopping with my wife. It's not my wife. It's the grocery shopping. But as we made our way through the different stores, I was, I was, uh, I just, my favorite thing to do is I said, I'll just push the cart and I'll follow you and you can just, you know, whatever. And I, so I was just following her and as we would walk by items, I was just looking at prices. I, had, I have not been in the grocery store for a while. That's on purpose. Um, we have a division of responsibilities in our home, and my wife endures that. I don't have to. 
But uh, we were walking through the store, and I just began to be, I was struck by the prices I was seeing. I had, I had not seen that. I mean, I had seen it in the checking account, but I hadn't seen it in person. I just figured our boys are growing bigger and we're eating more. No, like milk and eggs were over twice the price from what they used to be. As we continue to shop, I begin to think about, about how families, how are families making it work? You know, we're, we're blessed. God has provided for us. We have planned. We have prepared. And so when I go to the grocery store, I, I, I certainly let out a little groan when I see that milk is now two and a half dollars and eggs are a dollar seventy. I told my wife, I said, they were like 68 cents yesterday. I let out a little groan, but I can still do it. I can do it. Make some changes here, shift some things around here. I can, I can still put groceries in our refrigerator. But I began to think about the families that can't. Especially during this, this season of gift giving. How many parents are trying to decide today, am I going to get milk and eggs for the week? Am I going to go and buy a loaf of bread for sandwiches? Or are we going to have Christmas? We actually had someone come by the office the other day, an older gentleman, a grandpa. And he was asking for help with his utility bill. It was only $70. And I will tell you, that is low for what we're used to seeing. He came in with a $70 utility bill. And I wasn't there, but Janice told me, he said, I just, you know, I hate to do this. He goes, but if if I don't, it's either this or I get my gift for my grandkids. That's the position he was in. I either pay this electric bill or I get my kids some gifts. Now listen, I'm not suggesting that peace is found through stuff. That's actually the opposite of what Scripture teaches us. But peace is found when what is necessary and what is needed is attainable, is available. And my heart was just breaking as we shopped the other day, and I thought about all of the families that are like legitimately wondering, are we going to make it through this season? Lisa Walker um, part of our church family. Some of you, most of you will know her. She directs the Tough Bags program here in our area. And I may get this slightly wrong, so just bear with me. You can correct me later, but you know, Tough Bags provides uh, take-home food bags for kids all over the area. Uh, school districts, uh, not New Philly because they got their own thing, but I, all the other school districts around, hundreds, thousands of bags of food go out through Tough Bags and she directs that. And she shared on, on social media the other day that she was, after they had done their packing for that day, she was teaching a food insecurity class to some young people. And one of the boys in the class, teenage kid, he shared that, that just a couple of years ago, he and his brother would find themselves so hungry, they would sneak out their bedroom window, jump off their roof, and go out and try to find food so they could bring it back to the house. Guys, this is a reality for far too many people. 
The other day, I cleaned leftovers out of my fridge. The picture painted by the prophet Isaiah is a straight shot from one point to another. It's free from fear. It's free from obstacles. It's free from stain, strain, pardon me. It is a level and clear and direct path. And at the other end of it is salvation. The salvation of God for all people, regardless of the color of their skin or the amount of money in their bank account, what their heritage is, what their history is, or anything that we so often allow to become a separator. At the other end is salvation for all people. You prepare the way for the Lord. A kingdom of peace is one that moves in action toward others, looking out for the interest of others and not just looking out for you. This kind of peace does not come easily. It's a painful process. It takes sacrifice. It takes repentance. And it, it requires a complete reorientation of our lives. I hope that you've been reading along in our devotional, our Advent devotional. I have really been enjoying reading through it. This last week, December 2nd, the writing was focused on hope because last week was our hope week. And, and the author used Isaiah 9, 1 through 7 as the scripture. And I, and I want to read a portion of that for us this morning. Isaiah 9, 2 says this, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. That is hope. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish, accomplish this. In the devotional for that day, she talks about how we often identify with Scripture. Uh, we kind of put ourselves into the, word, into the words, and we read it for ourselves. We read something like this, we go, this is, this is me, this is talking about me, this is a place for me. But the encouragement from the devotion for that day was to remove yourself from the center of what you are reading. Instead, look for those who are, as verse 2 says, walking in darkness. Look for those who are distressed who are not experiencing the peace that God brings. And she wrote this. When we only read ourselves as the oppressed, the ones in the darkness, the ones needing that light to dawn, we are often blind to the oppression of others around us. We need a bigger vision. This is what John is pointing to. 
We need a bigger vision. One that is focused on preparing the way for the Lord to bring salvation to all people. And we do that in part by bringing peace where there is turmoil. We do that by leveling the field. We do that by smoothing out the rough edges that may not be impacting us personally, but our daily realities for somebody else. Now is the time to examine our hearts, our actions, our attitudes, our practices, and actively go to work so that the light can shine on the places where darkness and oppression exist. To do that, we have to be removed from the center of the story, and someone else has to take our place. When we have hope, we have to give hope. And when we have peace, we have to give peace. John the Baptist was just a normal guy. You know, except for his clothing and stuff and his diet. Just a normal guy, though. And he responded to the word of God on his life. You remember that? The word of God came to, son, to John, son of Zechariah. He responded to the word of God in his life, and he preached this, this crazy, revolutionary message of repentance and calling people into a new way of living. Why? Because he was preparing the way for Jesus. The people that stood in the crowd and listened to him and responded to him. They were just ordinary people. Even the tax collectors and the soldiers who heard and responded, they were, they were nothing special, just regular people who happened to be participants in this kingdom that everybody had set their hopes on. But they responded because they too were looking for something different. They were hungry for something else. Even Jesus the Messiah, the promised one, the Savior of the world, came in a fairly normal, unspectacular way. You see, God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. His things. God uses people of hope to do kingdom peace work. And this is the work that we are called to today, to repent, to be transformed, and to participate in the kingdom of God. It is a, it is a kingdom of peace, a kingdom that will transform the world around us. And so I, I challenge you with this this morning. Remove yourself from the center of the story. And pray that God would open your eyes and your ears so that you would see the paths that need to be made straight, the valleys that need to be filled in, the mountains and the hills that need to come down, the road that needs to be made straight, and the ways that need to be smoothed out, 
so that all people could see the salvation of God, which is made available to them through a servant king who was born a peasant in a barn. A peasant king who brought and still brings salvation to us all. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, my prayer this morning is that we would perhaps hear this passage in a way that we have not heard it before. That we would sense the urging, the calling from you to remove ourselves from the center of the story. It's so easy to look even at a passage like this and and put ourselves right there in the middle of it. And then we lose, we lose what's really happening. We lose what you are calling us to do as your children. We miss the call to repentance. It's, 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 it's for us. The call is for us to repent of our own pride, to pre- repent of our own selfishness, to remove ourselves from the middle of the story that's been written, and to have eyes and ears that will see and hear what's really going on around us. To understand, God, that there are people that are right next door to us. There are people across the street. There are people down the row. There are people at our work. There's people in the grocery store that are truly living in darkness who are feeling the oppression of a world where the valleys are not filled in and the roads are not straight. Father, help us to be peace bringers, especially at this time, God. Help us to respond to what you have done for us and how we choose to do for others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.